morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the co-founder and president of the Business of Cannabis, and this is BFC Live for Friday, May 22nd, 2020. BFC Live is a video and podcast production of the Business of Cannabis. Since 2017, through our web, social, video, and podcast channels, as well as real-world and virtual events, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the global cannabis industry. We encourage you to explore all that we do at businessofcannabis.ca. Before we get to our conversation with James Jesty of Friendly Stranger, Andy Palalis of Canna Cabana, and Zygmunt Stravchinsky of Potec Power Corp., uh, we wanted to give some announcements uh, about Business of Cannabis. First, this week we announced a new partnership with BDSA, formerly BDS Analytics, as they have become our official Insights partner. We look for more of that next week on Wednesday. Later today, May 22nd, Alan Brockstein, the 420 investor and the founder of New Cannabis Ventures, will be our Lunch and Learn guest talking about the state of cannabis investing. Sign up on our website, get the login details for the webinar. Next Tuesday on the evening of May 26th, we'll be back with a relaunch of our networking series, Cannabis Forward. On the 26th, thanks to a partnership with Robic, uh, we will have a coast-to-coast retail perspective featuring Jeremy Jacob from Village Bloomery, Nathan Meisen from Fire and Flower, Laura Wood from Cannabis New Brunswick, and Mimi Lamb from Superette, as well as a presentation from Liz Tahura, who is the president of the aforementioned BDSA, talking about consumer insights. As again, visit businessofcannabis.ca to find out more. And at that event, we will have a first of its kind for us, face-to-face virtual networking opportunity. So sign up today. Our sister publication, Report on Psychedelics, has two new podcasts out this week, and we'll have two more out next week. Uh, One is their weekly briefing, and the other is a deep dive conversation with Bright Minds. As well, they have a webinar coming up next Thursday, May 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Check it out at reportonpsychedelics.com. As well, on reportonpsychedelics.com, the first report on Report Psychedelics, uh, uh, 18-page deep dive into the history, regulations, and efficacy of psychedelics. Next Friday, May 29th, Eric Christensen from Little Rocket in our second of a four-part series, Creating an Omnichannel Cannabis Retail Experience. Presented by Shopify, Little Rocket is a Shopify agency partner that has built an amazing front end on the Shopify platform for cannabis retailers. You will see it, give kick its tires, and hear from Eric on Friday, May 29th. On Friday, May June 5th, Kelly Becker and Jen Larry from Cannabis Education Guild will be our Lunch and Learn guest. You can hear about all of their uh, education exploits in Asia. They have just returned from a several-week trap out there that ended actually in early March, but but we wanted to connect with them to hear the latest and greatest from new markets uh, in Asia. As always, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and thank you to our partners Cannabis at Work, Cannabis at Cannabis Benchmarks and BDSA for their ongoing support. Now, on to our conversation with James Jesty of Friendly Stranger, Andy Palalis of Canna Cabana, both retailers uh, expanding greatly in Ontario. We'll hear about that. And then Zygmunt Stravchinsky from Potec Power Corp to talk about how to save money on your Ontario energy bills if you are a large energy user. These interviews are back to back to back. Happy Friday. Have a good weekend. And thank you for watching. James Jesse, thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, so uh, confession, the first time that I ever came to Toronto, uh, I was courting my now wife. Um, yep. I went into the friendly stranger on Queen Street and I was like, this, this could be home. This is a good thing. <laughs> this is a really good thing. So we'll fast forward, I mean, a lot of years. So that must have been yep. 2000, 2001. Um, okay. uh, and now, you know, it's, um, it's still an iconic brand, obviously, in uh, certainly in Toronto, but beyond Toronto as well. And uh, congratulations for what you guys have built. And now there are stores open. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the new store in Toronto. I want to talk about today and the future. Um, sure. But first, welcome, because you guys thank are you. busy. You guys are thank real busy. Yeah, we've got lots going on. <laughs> lots going on. It's funny, your, your story of the friendly uh, experience is, um, we hear that a lot, right? It, it, you know, it makes us quite happy, to be honest, is, is we hear that a lot about people that, you know, it was their first experience in a, you know, in a cannabis shop, like in a, you know, like, like versus a, you know, maybe what they've been used to is a, you know, a bit of a scarier head shop kind of model, um, you know, but what we've been able to do and, and hearing, you know, those stories, you know, it's, it's often, oh, you were the place I bought my first bong or my first pipe or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, that store, um, you know, has made an impact on a lot of people. It's, it's really great to hear. Yeah. Well, my, my wife who grew up in Toronto, there was a guy that she would, um, that was always at like, you know, hippie music shows sure. that they actually called the friendly stranger. After oh, okay. the friendly stranger. Right. Right. That's funny. <laughs> so I, it, it does, it holds a special place in her heart yeah. too. Uh, but, but so obviously fast forward 20 yeah. plus years, yeah. decades yeah. later, um, uh, uh, the sequence of stores that have opened under the friendly stranger banner, it was at London first or Burlington? It was London first. Yeah. London first. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we go back to the summer when, you know, the lottery, the second lottery, right. Way back to the, to that, um, you know, we were able to partner, um, you know, sort of subsequent to the lottery with six of those lottery winners, um, you know, where we've, we've done a trademark licensing deal with them. So, you know, allowing them to use our brand, you know, they look to us for advice and help, um, you know, in, in the industry and helping them operate those stores. So, you know, when I say we opened them, you know, it was a, it was certainly a, a, a combo deal, so to speak, um, you know, but our, our branded stores, yeah. So we were able to get uh, London open, which is, um, you know, right sort of near the Western University, right at the Western Gates, for those that are familiar with London um, on Richmond Street. Uh, yeah, kind of, I want to say March 1st, you know, we'll go with that date. Um, and then uh, seven days later, we opened up um, our store in Burlington, which is, um, on Plains Road, just near the IKEA. For those of anybody that's familiar with with Burlington, we're in that plaza. Um, and and seven, again, you know that's where we were. And then seven pardon? days later, 11, seven days later, the world shut down. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally, Burlington was open for three days um, before you know they sort of locked everything down and, and closed retail. You know, and luckily we we as an industry, cannabis in Ontario, were able to get back open. You know, a few days later. Um, you know, with with uh, delivery and curbside pickup. So, you know, we were able to do that, right? We, you know, found out, I think it was a Thursday that we were going to be able to be back open as of the Friday and, and with delivery, you know, we were back open Friday and we had our first delivery on Sunday. So, you know, we, we jumped at the opportunity and really, you know, took it, took it in stride and, you know, we've been going strong ever since, right? So, you know, happy with those stores. Um, you know, obviously not where we would want them to be, you know, where we planned. It's not, you know, not the route you would, <laughs> you wouldn't have mapped this one out. Um, but, you know, here we are. And, you know, really, 
you know, excited to be able to now be talking about our third store that's open, um, which opened on um, Thursday, Friday of last week. So it's been open for all of three days. Today will be the fourth. Um, you know, and being able to open that one, we obviously opened it with curbside um, and, you know, and, and delivery, you know, start soon. We, you know, we wanted to give ourselves a bit of a, a, a window there. But now today we'll be able to open and allow, you know, customers to come in the store. So I'm excited about that. Um, you know, obviously limited and, you know, we'll keep everybody safe and, you know, we've got masks and, you know, all the rest of it to, to make sure that we're operating in, you know, in the safest way possible in this COVID world. Um, but excited to at least allow customers in to see the store and experience, you know, quasi experience, you know, what you described at, at your original Friendly Stranger, right? That's what we're, that's the magic that we're, uh, we're, we're now replicating with cannabis available as well as, you know, all the accessories. Yeah, it's really, you know, um, as if cannabis retail in Ontario hadn't had an awkward start to begin with, yeah. uh, even dating back to 2018. Yeah. Um, this just adds, um, adds, adds several chapters to the case study that will be for written sure. in business school, hopefully for a long time. <laughs> and I want to talk a bit about that because obviously this isn't easy and we talked about sort of the challenges there, but, but how do you really from a business nitty gritty and you come from a, yeah. a, a you know, a, a strong background and sort of consumer facing uh, businesses. Um, yeah. Like how do you, how do you train for that? How do you step up for that? How do you, how do you best prepare for that? Knowing that there is no preparation for, for, for a world know. pandemic. Right. You don't. Right. But, but, <laughs> but, but we, we've had enough conversations over the past uh, 10 weeks for sure to realize that that some people are not prepared nobody's prepared for this sure. but but are better able to make adjustments in real time change yeah. strategy in real time and then execute in real time like how yeah yeah look I think you know for us it's really been um, you know it's 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 been a you know a testament to the team that that we've got right for sure you know and we're we're really you know built from the ground up if you look at you know across our three brands right they you know, with, with Friendly Stranger, Hotbox, and Happy Days, you know, those were all brands and companies that were, you know, created by individual people who just figured it out, right? And, you know, so we have a long, long history of people and, and you know, our businesses that, you know, have, have just, it's just another hurdle, right? When, you know, when you go back 25 years, you know, to Friendly Stranger starting and, you know, the founders, Robin and Joy, really, you know, fighting a fight to try and get hemp legalized, right? That's, that's where this thing all started, you know, and then, you know, moving into accessories and they tried to make those illegal and we, you know, they fought that battle. And, you know, so for us, it's in our DNA to just figure it out, right? And to just say, okay, yeah, here's, here's the next, here's the next situation. Um, you know, let's rally the troops. Let's, let's talk to, you know, whomever will listen to us and whoever will give us advice. Um, and let's, you know, let's figure out a plan and, and move forward, right? And sometimes it's, you know, it's move forward and figure out the plan, right? And, you know, and you just sort of go and say, okay, you know, tomorrow we're, we're going to have to do that differently, right? Or, hey, wait, that worked and let's do more of that. So, look, I think for us, it's, you know, it is in our DNA, um, you know, to, to be entrepreneurial and just to figure it out, right? And so, you know, yeah, look, there's no way you, you mapped this out, to your point, you know, this, this industry has been bumpy and, you know, it seems like every day there's a new something that comes, um, you know, but, but looking positively, I mean, I look at the industry as a whole and, you know, it's, it's, it's coming out of the, out of the weeds, bad, you know, bad pun, but, um, you know, it's, it's starting to, to come out and, you know, and, and I think people are really starting to see now that we're, 
what a year and a half in, two years almost into legalization, um, you know that that this is working, right? And and it's not the big scary thing that you know a lot of you know people outside the industry maybe thought it was going to be. And you know, look in a in a time and day where you know retail's in in really big trouble, um, you know we're we're still in a growth mode, right? We're, there's still stores opening, right? We you know we open. There's others that opened. Um, you know, and, and there's still a long list of people that are on the, you know, in the stage, right? We're looking, you know, now to, to have, you know, four, ideally six stores open in June, right? Under our other brands. So, you know, there's a way to figure it out, right? And a way to, to kind of work it, um, you know, and we're just hopeful that we'll be able to keep, you know, keep the curbside and keep the delivery. We've proven we can do that as an industry um, and, you know, that it's safe and everything else and that we're, you know, we would be allowed to continue to, to do that now that we've sort of shown there's a demand for it. Yeah, it's interesting. All of that and when things do get back to more normal than they are today, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the environment which uh, all of your brands and everybody else's brands on the retail side open will actually look markedly different than when people went into sort of sure. mid-March into sort of the lockdown because, yeah. I mean, there's a lot more, certainly a lot more signage, but there'll be a lot more stores open mm -hmm. in June than there were in March. And I think it's actually going to be, I think, in a good way that, yeah. that the, the world has moved very rapidly, even on the retail side, notwithstanding the notwithstanding COVID, that there'll be a lot more retail, certainly in the hearts of Toronto and London and, and other places. Yeah. Um, it's going to look a lot different in the neighborhoods, right? And, and I, I'm thinking specifically of Church Street, right, which is the heart of the gay village in Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to look different and feel different, not only because the stores will be different, because some people have sort of gone out of business, but also some people have opened up. It's going to look and feel different. And, and, a and in that mix, cannabis is going to be really prominent. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that, you know, the, the, the way the store came out, right. You know, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's too bad people can't get in because right. it's, it's really nice. Um, but even just the storefront and the change, you know, that, that, you know, that's been vacant space for years, um, you know, and, and, quite honestly, tired vacant space. And, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of work and rebuilt the buildings, you know, so to speak, um, you know, from the front all the way through the, you know, through to the, the electrical system, right? We've redone it. So, you know, we're really proud of what we've sort of been able to add to that corner, if you will, um, you know, and, and obviously very proud to be, you know, part of that community and, and, and in that spot, right? I mean, it's a great piece of real estate, but it's also you know, a, a great neighborhood to be in, right? And it is a real community, um, you know, as, as many parts of Toronto are, right? You know, we're, we're lucky to have, you know, Hotbox and Kensington Market, right? Well, there's not a better community, you know, for us than that, right? And, you know, with, with Abby, who's been there for, you know, coming on 20 years, right? So, you know, we're really excited to, um, you know, to be part of Toronto communities as we go, right? And, you know, Queen Street, that's quickly becoming, you know, Cannabis Alley. I mean, the number of stores that are- Unbelievable. <laughs> going up, right? Which is, you know, again, it's a unique piece of this business is, you know, we're competing, we will be competing against competitors that we don't know exist yet. Right. You know, in normal retail, you look at real estate, you go, okay, yeah, we like the corner, there's this competitor, there's this competitor, we know what's going on. You know, every morning I get the AGCO emails that say, I'm like, oh, look at that, somebody's going right across the street from us, great, right? Well, it, it, um, it's, it's crazy on my, so I live at, I live in the West End at, um, Bloor and Lansdowne, and there's yeah. there's one going in right on Bloor at the end of our street yeah. called Growers Retail, yeah. and and on the same it's the same building on a different entrance 
yeah. I thought the signs up were the same ones. It was actually yeah. a different, it's actually oh, really? a different, it's a different score. Right. Never heard of either. I mean, Groves Regional, I've heard of, but the other yeah. one I've never heard of. And, and, and the neighborhood is, this is the thing. The neighborhood is now, wait a second, is this too many? Meanwhile, there's been an illegal dispensary right. open. That's a hat shop for, right. for years. Right. right. So now it's like, wait, wait, we're going to be mad about a really well-established, you know, uh, capital intensive business moving in. That's going to be open, draw traffic, fill right. all the restaurants and the barbershops and all those things. Right. I mean, it really, it, it is a real net benefit, I think, especially now in these yeah. neighborhoods where it's going to be a, a real boom. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, we, we, the big reason, you know, why we were, or while I was happy about us getting back open was the risk was with us being shut down through this was, you know, the illicit market comes back, yeah. you know, boom, right. You know, we all know, we know, you know, you and I know, you know, you can get cannabis delivered illegally in 15 minutes, right? You just open up an app and, you know, click and there you go, right? Um, you know, it's so easy to get that, you know, us being able to compete in that market really helps, you know, with, with costs coming down and everything else. But it, if we really want to get at that, you know, the way to do it is to allow we retailers that are, you know, regulated by multi levels of government and, you know, there's all kinds of rules, which I'm fine with. But, you know, we, we will do it safer and, and better than, you know, than the guy growing it in his backyard. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and kudos to you guys, because this is I mean, nobody's ideal time. I, I, I look forward to the time when the case studies are written about these 10 weeks and what yeah. happened and people who yeah. shifted and people who thrived. I look yeah. forward to the, the uh, friendly stranger, uh, hot box, happy days uh, chapter, because I think it's going to be a really good one. I think yeah. there's few, if any, companies with the brands that you guys have that that are more integrated into the community yeah, uh, in the cannabis community but also into the neighborhood communities that they're operating sure. in so kudos to you and the team we look forward to checking with you guys down the road and awesome. we look forward to coming to the stores as well my yeah. my in-laws live steps away from hotbox um so Good. we'll we'll be Good. we'll uh it'll be on the first we'll be, we'll be some of the first people there for sure watch for big news there in the next couple weeks great see breaking breaking almost news there you Great. go. <laughs> James, James, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck in the next hey, couple thanks, weeks James. as uh, things shift and, and move. Okay. Great. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. Andy Palellas, thanks for joining us. Jay, thanks for having me. Uh, you get mad props for having a great home mic. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a lot of care has gone into this. I dug it out of the garage recently, um, and it served me well. Dare I ask why you have a mic in your garage in storage? <laughs> uh, one of three failed rock bands. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's doing great for Zoom meetings, just like this one, in fact. You're the, most, <laughs> you're the best sounding guy in Zoom. The band sucked, but the, the, band, the, the band sucked, but the mic was great. You, you got that. And let me tell you, nothing says authority in a Zoom conference meeting like great audio. <laughs> it, well, we could just end. This, is the, this has been Zoom 101. Uh, Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> Andy, uh, uh, you are from Canna Cabana. Um, and uh, in looking at, just looking at the your website, um, before we came on, um, two things struck me. Uh, one, extremely exciting. The other was good, too. Um, lots oh, of locations, great. obviously, in Alberta, like all sort of big retailers. That's great. But also a lot of um, stores opened and opening in Ontario and in Toronto specifically. Tell us about yes. that because that expansion is exciting to those that live in Canada's biggest city. 
Um, but also just in terms of what's happening in Ontario, that is a, a very good sign. Yeah, well, you know what, Jay, uh, as you probably know, we, we started our journey in Alberta, and I'm a Toronto guy, I'm from Toronto, so learning the Alberta market was different for me, right? It took some time to really get, get up to speed, and uh, just, you know, 12, 14 months being in the Alberta market, I really felt like I got it, and now, you know, we're coming back to Ontario, so it's, uh, it's a really neat experience, but um, yes, we recently opened up uh, 433 Parliament Street, we have a location in Niagara we just opened up at the top of Clifton Hill, right next to Starbucks there. So that's really exciting. Burlington's opening up in about 10 days. Um, you know, great location there also. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're laser focused on Ontario right now. Um, you know, we'll be, we, I anticipate we'll be at the cap, the allowable 10 stores by um, probably end of September would be, it would be a reasonable timeline. And yeah, I mean, I know, I know I mentioned that we started in Alberta, but truthfully, um, you know, we had the most stores in Ontario for a good long while between Sudbury, uh, Toronto and Hamilton. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, uh, me and my group, we're here, for, we're from Ontario. And so we're really excited to have more Canicabanas on the map here. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's, um, uh, it's interesting. And I want you to sort of speak to this and that, um, you know, we all went into to sort of lockdown mode in mid-March, early March, right? Um, yes. But that, that did certainly slow what's happening in Ontario, but did not halt it. And even over the past couple of days or weeks, weeks and days, there's been this big ramp up. And I think when mm -hmm. people re-enter their sort of daily lives or something resembling it, the commercial strips in Toronto are going to look different than they did when they went into, um, into lockdown. And, not be, and obviously because people will be social distancing still, but also because there's going to be a lot of new, new stores. And some of them will be yours. Talk about that and what it means to a company to actually be in ramp up mode amid COVID-19. <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, the beginning of COVID-19 was survival mode. You know, that was a lot of unknowns, a lot of hour long daily conference calls, a lot of scrambling for PPE and masks and sanitizer and all the things you need to keep your retail stores open. And, you know, I think we did a great job of that. Um, many of our competitors did a great job of that also. So I'm just really proud of the cannabis industry in general for creating a safe environment for people to have access to that, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what does it look like coming out of COVID-19? Well, I, I would say uh, a, a revelation that we've kind of all had is that um, quarantine and work from home has been incredibly productive. Now, I don't know if that Oh, hold on, bud. That's because you go from working, you know, uh, but we've made a lot of strides prepared for the Ontario market. For example, you know, we were, uh, there were many RSAs submitted in, in March, you know, um, for other retailers to open locations in the province. Um, but we were among the first to open Parliament, uh, 433 Parliament, Niagara Falls. Like I mentioned, we just, we just opened that recently in Burlington next week. So uh, we really never slowed down when it came to um, going through the licensing process and, of course, uh, you know, getting the stores operational. Um, so COVID has been pretty productive for us. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny just on a personal level and business level too. It's like, it is, we, we have uh, two little kids at home in digital school, which is, has its own challenges, both on internet, but also on sort of just uh, lifestyle and work. But yes. the, the parts that are focused on work when they're like, they have blocks of school have been really productive, certainly for the business of cannabis team, but also um, it's just shifted dramatically how things get done. And I don't mm. know if you know this, but in 2018, early 2018, this is actually how we started doing Zoom video calls that we would record. So nice. it's, it's sort of going back to our roots and what we like to do. It allows us to connect with many more people uh, on issues that are really topical. And, and right mm -hmm. now there's lots of things happening, certainly on the retail front. I want to talk yeah. about that because um, in many respects, Alberta is where Toronto or Ontario will be 
soon-ish. I just saw a number that was like over 300 in the queue or something like that um, in Ontario in terms more, of retail. More, yeah, more, uh, over 400, I think. Over 400. So, so with that in mind, like what can Ontario expect from what we've seen in Alberta? And, and is there a penetration that gets to be too much or too challenging? And, and, and you know, what is the time horizon when we'll actually know those things? Yeah, I mean, you know, we hear a lot about the density of stores, and it's actually been a soundbite in Alberta for quite some time now, right? Like there are well over 400 stores in Alberta. It got there first as a province. The soundbite in Ontario has been about how there's not enough retail out here. So we, we you know, again, being being focused on Alberta for the last 18 months, there's been a lot of conversation about what, what density means. And, um, you know, for us, we're not concerned. You know, we've built Canna Cabana uh, on a, what I would call a strong foundation of retail fundamentals. Uh, we have great locations. We're focused on great locations. What I think has really changed or what is going to change in a market like Ontario, uh, Toronto, um, you know, where you have a lot of density, a lot of new stores opening up, uh, are the opportunities, um, I guess, the opportunities to differentiate yourself. You know, uh, early days, like, for example, early, early Alberta, there's no, no variety in product, right? You basically bought what you could buy. I'm sure there are plenty of, you know, retailers in Alberta who are still trying to move some of those bad early day purchases because there was truly nothing <laughs> to be purchased. Um, but today, you know, we have a huge variety in product. Uh, we can curate and promote brands that align with our customer. And, and really, I mean, that's the core of retail right? Finding those brands, finding those products that align with your core consumer. And in this way, you know, the cannabis retail opportunity continues to get better, um, better and better. And operators that know the products and, and, and know their customers and know the products that can connect with their customers have the best opportunities to win. So, um, you know, we, we believe that the last 18 years, or 18 years, 18 months, feels like Seems 18 like years. <laughs> The last 18 months, you know, we've learned a lot about the products. We've learned a lot about those customers. Um, but, you know, we were in retail for 10 years in this space prior uh, in the head shop world. So, you know, our customers, um, if anything, we've validated the idea that our customers look a lot the same as they did in that world. So, yeah, I feel like we were prepared coming into this in some ways also. Yeah, uh, we, uh, I think we were speaking with someone from Shopify uh, and they were saying the funny thing about cannabis retail it's a lot like retail. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's retail. Uh, you're selling something different, but it is, you know, similar location, you know, value, product, understanding your consumers, catering to that and un understanding them, catering to that and continue to go back to that as sort of a, a foundational thing. And, and that brings up another point. And, and this is certainly in the first lottery in Ontario. And even as we see this ramp up is, there are people with real deep retail experience like you guys. And there are folks that just want to be cannabis retailers because they want to be. And I think that poses a real challenge to those sort of not mom and pop. That's not what I mean, but, but those with less experience in retail, it is a mm -hmm. really challenging operation to run a retail anything. It's really mm -hmm. challenging a heavily regulated mm -hmm. industry and heavily regulated industry where the, where the margins are, basically set in some respects because it's mm -hmm. a heavily regulated product and the density you're talking about, like you don't have to provide advice for the, for the one-off types of shops, but like, how are you seeing that in Alberta? Like, are there ones that stand out or is it like you really need a deep background in retail to really understand what's happening out there? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, what can I say? There, there isn't the advice. the The magic wand is 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 the fundamentals. <laughs> there's not. There's not. It's like anything in life. You know, um, experience counts a lot for sure. Uh, you learn a lot by making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know, there's been a, a hyper accelerated rate of ex- of mistakes in cannabis. To be fair, um, but you know, you start with a great location, you learn who your customers are, and you get really savvy around how you curate your products. Yeah, it's really difficult when you're all buying from the same supplier. You know, those points of differentiation, many of which we won on in, in our previous retail days, um, vis-a-vis, you know, manufacturing our own in-house brands and, and you know, going overseas and curating, you know, th- those advantages don't necessarily exist here. They exist in some ways. I think we have probably the most robust accessory selection, for example, in Canada. That's one of our differentiators. But in general, when it comes to the core product, the cannabis, well, it's the same as the guy who's down the street. Now it's getting getting more differentiated as more and more brands and products come on the marketplace. And so, you know, I think that the the most important thing you can do um, as an operator is get your hands around those brands, get your hands around those products and what your customers are looking for. I mean, again, fundamentals. Yeah. Uh, Talk about just one last thing, because uh, everything we've talked about is really around brick and mortar uh, up to right up up till this part of the conversation. Uh, But even Mm -hmm. that has shifted over the past certainly eight to 10 weeks, right? As, as new opportunities and new online offerings uh, from companies like Canna Cabana and others. Um, how do you expect that to play out over the coming, I don't know, eight to 10 weeks moving forward? I mean, I know there's no sort of secret insight into what's happening in government, but, but how, do, how has that gone for you guys? And, and you know, wouldn't it be great if <laughs> this was sort of a new layer? You talked about omnichannel earlier, like you actually could grab people online, you know, your customers extend beyond the store. You even, you know, increase the radius by which you're sort of operating geographically. Like talk a little bit about that, what it means to a retailer like you. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of people like to complain about the regulatory changes that have gone on over the the COVID uh, time period. Um, I, I don't I don't like to complain about them because, frankly, I would rather you know uh, a regulator or, or a, a governmental body that's making quick changes to respond as opposed to you know leaving us closed, for example, for more than two days. The fact that cannabis retail closed down for two days before curbside, I view as a big victory because it could have been two weeks or two months. And that would have been a very different experience for cannabis retailers. So uh, in general, I'm very happy with the way things have gone. Um, It's been like spinning plates to keep up with the changes. You know, we went from being a purely brick and mortar experience to brick and mortar with curbside, which we were already preparing for before COVID. We'd already rolled it out. But then you go curbside with transacting. And that may seem like a small change, but it's a big change right? When you're transacting online, there's a lot of technical hurdles to overcome. And then how does that translate to picking up your product and the logistics around who stands where and how do they get called for their order? And then now, of course, preparation for delivery. You know, we've seen, we saw delivery roll out really quickly in in Ontario. And I can tell you because with confidence, because we're all working on the same economics, that there are a variety of complexities in delivery that are maybe not being considered today. For example, how much it costs to deliver and how many deliveries you can do in an hour and the economics behind when does that become not feasible if you're giving free delivery and trying to compete with the black market on $50 orders, right? So these are some of the things that we spent a lot of time looking at and there's not an easy answer to it, but I will be very happy in short to answer your question. I will be very happy if these things do consider or do continue, excuse me, because they are, um, they are the biggest opportunities for us right now. 
the ability to expand our reach and to deliver our customer experience at home to the door as well as continue to transact and sell online. Um, so yeah, I mean, in general, I'm very happy about the way things have evolved and COVID has been terrible for many reasons and many people um, and many businesses. Um, but the one you know, bright spot in it is it has rapidly advanced the conversation about these new channels for sales and, and the new footprint of retail. Andy, I really want to appreciate, uh, I want to say thank you for your time. Uh, kudos to the sort of ramp up and challenging times. Looking forward. I've never looked as forward to getting back to Niagara Falls as I do right this very moment to get to, to, get to your shop there. Um, but, but I thank you and, uh, and thanks for joining us. We look forward to connecting with you down the road. And thank you for bringing your own mic to this conversation. <laughs> thank you, Jay. I appreciate you having me. It's a real pleasure. And um, yes, I will bring this, bring this back anytime you'd like it. Perfect. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andy. Take care, Jay. Zygmunt Stravchinsky, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. I got the name right? Yeah, actually. I know. I've been practicing since first we met. I also, full disclosure, I know your brother. Um, we uh, had you on, I don't even know, two years ago, a year and a half ago. About, about two years ago, I think, yeah. Uh, about the intersection of um, extensive energy use and cannabis. Um, I, I think the industry does still use a lot of electricity, and there's even more of it. And I want to talk to you about that because it is your uh, right in your wheelhouse. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Um, I want to know what you do. Uh, the name of the company is Potec Power Corporation. Uh, which doesn't tell what you do, but describe what you do because when we spoke uh, two weeks ago, I was fascinated by it and wanted to make sure I had you on so you could share. Tell me. Absolutely. Uh, Potec Power Corporation is an energy-based uh, consultancy in Ontario. Our mission is very simple. It's to find and correct the mistakes in every electricity bill in Ontario for commercial industrial customers, uh, one at a time. It's really... I love it. So, so I, so let's pretend I, uh, so let's pretend I haven't been in my basement for 10 weeks. Let's pretend mm -hmm. I run a, uh, a major grow somewhere in Ontario. We use an, an unbelievable amount of electricity for lights, for heat, for cooling, uh, for extraction, any of those things or all of those things. I come to you and you say what? Uh, we say essentially that we can take a look at your hydro bills for any accounts associated with your grow or your extraction or cultivation facilities um, for mistakes that your electric utility may have been making over uh, the past uh, while of your operation. We can typically go up to 24 months in the past. And if we find any mistakes, we will work on your behalf to recover refunds from utilities. And, and how? How prevalent is this? And I ask cringing because I feel like it's more, you're, you're in business, so I feel like it might be more prevalent than, than one would expect. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking, um, to be honest, how prevalent it is. Um, in our experience, roughly one third of all hydro bills that we audit in the province of Ontario have one form of mistake or another on them. We've been at this for five years. And we've recovered over $55 million in refunds from over 30 utilities across Ontario. It's not insignificant. No, it's not. Um, the genesis of the business was 
uh, on the backs of a 2014 report by the Ombudsman of Ontario called Inter, where he estimated that more than 100,000 customers with Hydro One alone uh, were being overbilled. Um, and that is, at the time, just one of the 70 or so utilities that were operating in the province of Ontario. So certainly there are lots of mistakes out there and, and we're here and we exist to find them and fix them on behalf of Ontario's ratepayers. And, and thinking about that uh, as a, uh, I don't know if the likelihood of mistake goes up by the more energy you use, but certainly the dollars that it actually equates to would almost certainly be in correlation to that. Is that, is that what you're finding? Is that the sort of target audience, sort of big energy users trying to help them recover these funds? Yes, uh, that's, I'd say with the first part of that, in terms of um, the number of errors, um, certainly there's, there's a wide distribution of mistakes that you would find across um, business and asset classes. Um, but yes, certainly with um, consumption going up, the size of potential error, whether it's on the fixed cost portion of a bill or the variable cost portion of the bill will rise um, in proportion as well. Talk to me like I'm an idiot. Um, what are those two components of the bill and what are the different costs associated with each of them? Sure, well, Jay, not <laughs> it's like that. Uh, it's like, have you seen the, in the office, Michael Scott is always like, talk to me like I'm an eight-year-old. And then someone describes something and says, talk to me like I'm a five-year-old now. <laughs> All right, let me, uh, let me give this a stab. So um, there's, when you think about buying power and using power, you're paying for two things. Um, one is all the stuff that's needed to allow you to get power in the first place, which is you know the generation, transmission, and distribution all the way from the power plant uh, through the electrical wire and a grid into a grow facility, for example. That is actually a larger component of a customer's bill in Ontario than how much power they actually use, and it's been that gap has been growing year over year for the last ten years. The second component is pretty straightforward. It's just the cost for the actual energy, the kilowatt hours that you are consuming. And that is directly proportional typically to you know, the operations that you're running. Um, a greenhouse in Ontario uh, for an LP, um, the biggest one I believe uses north of 10 megawatts of demand. To put that into context, that's about the same amount of power as two very, very large hospitals. Um, side by side, so it's quite a bit of power. Yeah, it I, it it uh, it doesn't shock me because I've been to some of these places, but I still think it is shocking that um, the amount of energy used for this it's, to grow a plant. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit of energy, and you know, obviously, LPs have a pretty significant vested interest in managing that cost as best they can. We don't really play in that space. Um, you know, there's. There's companies a dime a dozen that will provide consultative services, try and sell energy storage solutions, backup generators, et cetera, um, to help customers manage their overall cost because the fixed portion I talked about, up to 70%, is manageable for some of these uh, LPs. What we do is see where the utility, if they have, if they've screwed up, and then try and find some money for these LPs. Yeah, well, all the LPs need money right now, <laughs> turns out. Um, turns out they need it and they need it a lot and, and these are not good times, but, but, the, but I imagine like, how does it work with you guys? Fairly 
simple and straightforward. It's a, it's a look at bills, look at past history. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. It's a very straightforward process. So um, we sign an agreement with NLP. Um, we try by design to keep the process as simple and straightforward as possible. And what that does is it enables us when they send us bills, reach their accounts to work on their behalf with the utility to recover any money uh, that we need to. So we go away, we do an analysis of the bills. There's 20 possible points of error on every hydro bill in Ontario. We'll check each one of them. We'll come back and say either good or we think there's a mistake and this is how much you can recover. And then we'll work on the LP's behalf with the utility and possibly escalating to the Ontario Energy where we need to, to get that money back. The whole process typically takes anywhere from one to three months. I think on the operating missions, this being a very strange time in everyone's life. Um, and uh, the nature of the mistake and the utility that we're working with. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I really Thank do. You. It's it's simple <laughs> enough I can understand, yet big enough to actually make an impact on a lot of these operations, which I think is 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 uh, very compelling. So so um, uh, we're gonna uh, as we end this video, we're gonna post how to get back in touch with you if people want. Uh, what's the simplest way? By email, by LinkedIn. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, those are both great ways. I'm on LinkedIn and email. Um, you know, I usually have my phone handy like the rest of the world, it seems. Um, and, you know, we'd be happy to help. Uh, we've helped several LPs in the province already. Um, we're happy to, to try and find a pot of money headed for the rest. Well, everybody's trying to find that pot of money, but you seem to have a good way to go get it and, and the skills to actually make it happen, which may be, more, <laughs> may be a lot easier than finding people to buy your uh, three and a half gram package. Yeah, we, we, we think so too. And, and, you know, we, we, the way that we work is also on contingency, which is important to mention. So, you know, we're, we're only actually paid and compensated when we're successful in getting refunds. Uh, so it's essentially a free look for any LP out there. Good. Well, we will spread the word. We appreciate your time as always. Uh, we will connect with you down the road. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate you having me. You got it. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you. Thank you.